you know, a lot of people, we were talking to Sunday about the things that can be shaken or being shaken, right? <laughs> Amen. And we, we, you know, we made a little point to say that faith, hope, and love remain, and they're not shakable. So that's kind of what we need to major in right now is faith, hope, and love, because they're the unshakable things. Most everything else can be shaken, and most of it's going to be done away with, right? Amen. So I wanted to just talk to you a little bit tonight about plague, pestilence, viruses, things like that, what it means. This won't be the last one that we see as a church. You can imagine there'll be other big ones that come down the way. You can imagine that if in any instance our leaders are willing to close down public gatherings and perhaps churches at some point. I mean, I'd, I'd like to just throw this out there. I really believe... I really believe that if our president had not just made a recommendation and he had mandated we not have church, we would have been obliged to honor that. At least on some level, we'd have to seriously consider it. And I seriously considered his recommendation. And, you know, some churches are closed, and I agree with them. They should be. Because really, we're taught in Scripture, wherever your faith is and wherever your conscience is, that's where you need to be, (laughs) you know? I mean, honestly... And you don't need to, to follow somebody else into an area you don't have faith in because you can get knocked down where they wouldn't. Amen? So we don't need to encourage people or make people feel bad. Either way, people have to walk with God according to their relationship with God, right? So that's really important that they do that. Otherwise, we could lead them out in an area where they get hurt, <laughs> you know, and we'd be judged for leading them out there. So we don't want to do that. And I don't mean judged to hell, but just judged in terms of behavior of a Christian, you know, by God. Does that make sense? So I want to go that far without, before we go anywhere else, saying anything else about what anybody else does. They stand before God on their own. And it doesn't have anything to do with you and me. And we all have to stand before him on our own. So I don't want to lead you anywhere that you can't go. I don't want to lead you anywhere in faith that you're not ready to go. Nobody here ever says, don't take medicine, okay? Nobody ever says that. Nobody here ever says, don't follow your conscience as from the Lord and the faith that you have. Nobody ever says that. Now, what we try to do is teach the word so all of our faith increases. But you can't go where your faith isn't. You'll be in trouble. (laughs) We all need to say that, right? We all need to say that. And, and God doesn't judge us on that. He knows our level. He's happy that we've attained a level of faith in Christ, right? Amen? Hallelujah. Okay. Just wanted to make sure we, we said that. So can you imagine, though, if there's anything in your mind, if you could even imagine that anything to do with a virus or a pestilence or a worldwide plague, perhaps, has anything to do with demonic forces, I mean, you say, yeah, but if you can imagine that at all, let me throw out a supposition to you. If, if that could be possible in any way, shape, or form, do you think that they would want to keep the body of Christ from meeting, from coming together? So I'm not saying anybody's trying to do that in our government or anything else, but what I'm saying is if the church is willing not to meet, if I was a demonic force, I'd keep bringing plagues out. I'd roll those suckers out one right after the other. Wouldn't you? If you knew that you could stop God's people 
from assembling. What did the Bible say in Hebrews? Let us forsake not to assemble or to gather together. together or something. It's been the expectation that churches would not just correspond over the internet, but would assemble as the body of Christ, take communion together as the body of Christ, exhort one another as the body of Christ, sing and worship God together, together as the body of Christ, way back since way back right and in hebrews 12 i think it is it says you've not come to the mountain that was set on fire but you've come to the general assembly in the church of god the general assembly (laughs) and the church what does the church mean ecclesia in greek what does it mean the assembly of the ones that are called out right what it what it speaks to is a group of people who have heard a call and come to assemble right and so there, there is this idea that we're a body, that we're an assembly all throughout. I mean, it's pervasive, really. You know, it's pervasive. And men didn't make it up. I mean, obviously, God calls us his body. He called us his church or his assembly. He called us a group, you know. And we we're called to take communion together. Am I right? Communion together. I remember, I, I know for a fact Apostle Paul understood by the holy spirit that there was an expectation of coming together because even when he was getting on to the church and having to discipline the church in first corinthians 11 he said hey when you come together the feast that you eat is not communion and he was getting on to them because they didn't take communion right but he did say when you come together so he understood and fully expected the church should come together to take communion right so all this to say that there is some expectation that churches meet. Now, wherever your, again, your faith and your conscience can hold you, you know, I feel like I'm led to open this place up unless there's some, some other reason, you know, some other place you can go to church, that so that's what we should do, you know. I don't feel led to make anybody, or to, of course, you know, the good thing about church is nobody's ever made to come to church. It's kind of like with giving offerings. Nobody ever commands you to give offerings, right? You do that out of your own heart. You, you, you come to worship God out of your own heart. So it's really a good thing God does. He doesn't really command you to be here. He just believes that if you love him, you will, right, on some level, if, if your faith is at that level. Let me say it like that. So, you know, we talked about koinonia, which is fellowship. You know, Acts 2.42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. What does that mean? They came together, right? This oneness, the unity of being together as the body of Christ. And so I just wanted to to just temper everything that we hear in, in just making sure we understand that somehow God does expect us to come together. And I don't think it's to our benefit long term at least for the church not to meet now you know a lot of men have written a lot of good papers and treatises and books and things about why we should not meet and I'm not really arguing with them if that's their heart that's fine with me but I don't see it that way and so I'm just sharing with you what I feel like the Lord's given me okay um I'm reminded of this, and I don't hear people talk about it a lot, but I'll share it for you so that you can filter it through your faith and see what you think. But it really struck me as odd 
when Israel was in bondage in Egypt, that the one thing God said for Moses to tell Pharaoh, he didn't say, you've bound my people up, you're being mean to them, let them go. That's what we tend to think. That's not what he said. He said, you have to let my people go so they can come together and worship me. You know, and we tend to forget that because he was being brutal to the people and they had they had at one time had a favored status in the land and over time it basically become slave. But God didn't see that. That was not the reason. The reason they worked was they worked them seven days a week and they couldn't have time off for Sabbath and for the feast days and to come together in a holy assembly. And so there again you see that God, what really got the Father in the end was my people can't come together and worship me. What is that telling me? We should come together and worship him. That's an expectation. That's enough of an expectation for him to do away with Pharaoh's power. Amen. Does that make any sense to anybody? So see, from way back, apparently, this has been the plan. And so, you know, I just I really believe from my heart that that's what God expects me to do. Um, so then the question becomes this. You know, I want to remind you that um, the Bible says you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So do you tempt God by coming out knowing that there's a virus out here and knowing that people have said, well, you could get it from people if you're in a place that's close, you know, together. Are you tempting God by not staying home? You know, that, that's something that everybody should consider, really, honestly. I'm not throwing that out. I'm saying you should consider that with your own heart. Am I tempting God by continuing to go to a place of worship where other people are, you know? And I want to just talk with you about it for a minute because really we should. Now, uh, if you'll go to Matthew 4, we'll just read a little bit about it. Let's look at it. Because I, I know that many great writers, many great followers of God have written that it tempts God to, to even go out into these places. I know Martin Luther did. In one of his writings, he said it'd be tempting God to continue to go out into public and to go places uh, where you could get sick. But I want to remind you something, because I've been praying about this a lot. I want to remind you of something. Because, you know, you'll see this. Uh, how many of you have Facebook? Anybody have Facebook? Yeah, I hope so. A few of you do. All right. I don't know that I hope so. I take that back. But I, for my purposes now, I hope you do, because you'll know what I'm talking about, right? If we're not careful, people post things from what they consider great men of God, almost like a scripture. Every now and then I want to step back and say, you know, not a single thing you posted in the last month that any of these great men of God is inspired. Why don't you go back and try scripture instead? I really do. If, if they would take it the right way, I would do it. <laughs> you know? I mean, because really and truly... None of that matters, amounts to a hill of beans compared to Scripture. What one guy thought. You know? It doesn't. And so, you put that out there, if you put out, you know, this, this uh, Martin Luther quote, like, that's going to change church. That's going to bring another reformation, right? When in fact, he was just a man trying to walk by faith. <laughs> you know? And guess what? He was trying to walk by his level of faith. Amen. And the one thing that I know about his level of faith is it didn't include, he didn't believe in gifts of healing. He didn't believe in healing. 
He believed that God healed. Don't get me wrong, but he he believed he was a cessationist because he was taught that way, and he didn't have any other revelation than that. And so he thought he thought that all healing basically had ceased. And I can tell you, for some reason, he seemed to think that that God's punishment on man was the death of the body. Not that we don't die, because I I agree that we do, but. He, he believed, and he actually wrote in that same letter, that when we physically die, God is punishing us for our sins. When clearly the Bible teaches that Jesus bore the punishment for our sins, and if you really believe that, how in the world could you then believe that, oh, but your body's still got to die for that same punishment, even though Jesus died for it? Now, you can read that in that same treatise if you don't believe me. I'm not, I'm not coming down on him. I'm just saying you've got to realize that these are men under hard circumstances like we may be at some point. You know, the, the plague, the black plague, or what I think was the bubonic plague, or whatever it was that he was facing at that time was serious. And actually one of the elders in the church had asked he and his wife who was pregnant and with, who was with child had said, you guys need to leave there <laughs> when they heard it was there. Kind of like what you can imagine might happen to a bishop writing to one of his pastors in a town where he heard one of these uh, coronavirus cases popped up. He might say, hey, you guys need to get out of there. And so he found himself struggling. Do I leave with my pregnant wife or do I stay here? You know? And, you know, so... Everybody, you can't, get, you can't fault a guy for thinking about that kind of stuff, and you can't fault somebody for going with the faith that they have, right? And by the way, the fact that he might, the fact that he did write, that he thought the death of the body was you paying for your sins, has nothing to do with his salvation. It doesn't have anything to do with it at all. If you believe in Jesus Christ and trust in him for salvation, you shall be saved, right? Doesn't Romans teach us that? Yeah. So, I mean, it has nothing to do. He's a brother of ours, but it's just important to look at somebody and see where they are before you decide where they are is where you are. That's all I'm saying. You just, it's just important to look at somebody and say, am I me before God or am I going to be them before God? And you might want to see if your DNA is interchangeable first before you think you're Apostle Paul if you're not before you think you're Martin Luther if you're not, right? And it's, I, I say that this is a big diatribe over nothing, but it concerns me because people put that stuff on Facebook, and the ones who are really unlearned, hadn't spent a lot of time in their Bible, they, I'm afraid a lot of times, or I, I fear that a lot of times they look at it and go, yeah, yeah, and they don't really make that distinction, but where am I? Where do I need to be, you know? I, I am a member of the body of Christ, and I have a faith that God's given me. I have the Holy Spirit dwelling in me. I have a relationship personally with Jesus Christ. You know, where am I in all this? Where do I fit in? Not just automatically following somebody who did something great before. Because if we all automatically follow somebody that did something great before, I can guarantee you we're not going to do anything great because that's already been done. Does that make sense? So you need to find out where you are, who you are. Certainly need to know whose you are. Amen. That kind of thing. Do you agree with me? You see where I'm at? Even if you don't agree with me, you see what I'm saying, right? All right, so did we go to Matthew 4? All right, I did not. I will now. Matthew 4, probably start at 5, but let me, let's look at it. Make sure. 
Okay. Jesus being tempted. The, t- the temptation of Jesus Christ in the wilderness, right? Now, a couple of things we should say. How did Jesus get out in the wilderness? Did he decide to go? Yeah, he, he was led. That's very important, right? It's not like he said, hey, I think I'll go preach, or I think I'll just go and do this. No, the Bible is very clear that he was led out there. That changes everything. When you know you're led, that tells you a lot about your situation, right? Whereas if you chose it on your own, you got a lot of variables. Now, people in churches don't seem to understand this, and I hate to say preachers don't seem to understand this. I can't tell you how many preachers I talk to, and they say, well, we're going to go do this. We've decided to go do that. And we, I'm like, I am keep waiting for them to drop the L word, the Lord. You know, like the Lord led us, and he showed us. And, but instead, we've decided to do this, and we've seen that we can do that. And I'm like, you're going to have a lot of variables when you get out there, and something doesn't go right. Because you're not going to know you were led. And when you don't know you're led, and things get hard, and it's in the middle of the night, and it's pitch black dark, you know, like things are in the soul when you're not, you don't feel like you're hearing from God, you got a lot of questions then. But if you know one thing that God led you there, you can claw in and hang on through anything. Because if he led you there, he's got you there. Amen? So I want to make sure we, we, we say that, okay? Um, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, uh, Matthew 4, 1. But verse 5, so the devil took him up un, into the holy city, that's Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the Son of God, if you're the Son of God, throw yourself down for it's written. He'll give his angels charge over you. And in their hands, they'll bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. That sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Hey, you don't have to put up with this. You can just jump off. Because if you're the son of God, you'll never hit the ground. And we should analyze that statement probably, shouldn't we? Let's look at Jesus' admonition after that. It is also written, Jesus counters back, because the devil hit him with scripture, right? How many of you know the devil can quote some scripture? Yeah, well, you do now, even if you didn't, but I believe we did. And Jesus countered with this and this is why sometimes you'll hear me say we can't just take that we need to take the whole counsel of God because see Satan just tempted Jesus with a part of the counsel of God that may be the part that we quote really often the one that sounds good but we need to look at the full counsel of God because if he had done that he would have been in trouble and we wouldn't be saved you know what I'm saying but look at what he said it's written, and you might you might say he said he said it's written again, but it's also written. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. What's he telling him? I'm not gonna jump down from the pinnacle of this temple because those angels are not gonna bear me up. I'm gonna go pump. I'm gonna hit the ground. Hmm. It's written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God, and that's why I'm asking the question. When you come to church during a time like this, are you tempting the Lord your God? This is what people, this is what we need to arrive at. Let's come to a couple of things here. I want to just just look at a few things here if we could. And and if you think of some, by all means, please share them. I don't pretend to have everything on this, okay? I've I've been thinking about this for days and don't have everything on it by any means. But one thing, it's interesting 
The devil said, throw yourself down. What do we know about the natural realm? How far can you jump from and not get hurt in the natural realm? Not, certainly not from the pinnacle of the temple, right? So in the natural realm, the realm that we live in, that God put us in, that we were led into, born into by God, you automatically know, right? You automatically know that if you jump from a certain height, it's going to kill you. Am I right? Now, you'll notice the devil didn't offer to push him. He couldn't touch him. I would say and he couldn't touch him. But if someone else had pushed him, angels would have held him up because it wouldn't have been his intent to kill himself, to do something he knew would kill himself. Right? That makes sense? So the angel, and I would say also that if he was standing there, and let's say he, just, he said, no, I'm not getting down. I'm waiting on the Lord to come and get me. Because I know, I know the deal. You know, I can't throw myself down. That's like taking control of the situation and saying I can do it. I can't do it, right? Not, not as a man, which is who he, was, who he was operating as, right? The second Adam. If he had slipped, angels still would have protected him. The one caveat here, and Satan knew it, throw yourself down. Hey, if you're the son of God, just throw yourself down. Nothing's going to happen to you. So if you knew that the place that we meet in is riddled with coronavirus, and you knew there'd be 100 people here tonight infected, and you didn't have faith against it, You'd have to be crazy to come here because you'd leave sick, wouldn't you? Because that'd be tempting the Lord your God. But because in good faith you came and had no idea that any of that would happen, and you're just here to worship. If you were to slip and somebody were in here, you're going to be fine. Does that make sense? You know, tempting the Lord your God goes all the way back to Deuteronomy. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you did in Massa when they, when they fussed because they didn't have water. You know, they were fussing because they followed Moses out and they were complaining. And Moses told God, he said, they're ready to stone me up here. You need to do something. They were ready to kill Moses because they didn't have some water. Now, you think on the one hand, that's not a bad thing to ask for water. And God did end up offering, he did offer water. So what was the problem? Lack of faith, whining and complaining. Lack of faith, whining and complaining. It would have been fine if as a congregation they had just sat down and said, Lord, we don't know what you want us to do. We don't see anything to drink, but we know you're our Father. We know that you would never do anything to harm us. We know that you've provided all our needs, so just show us where it is. They probably would have gotten water just like they got manna, you know. Or supernaturally, the, the, the manna would have been water for them, you know. Amen? you believe that? But because they're fussing about the way things are done and complaining, God said they tempted him to anger. 
you know, he gets upset when people don't walk in faith. It, it brings him to the edge. <laughs> it brought Jesus to the edge, too. How long have I got to be with you, O oh, ye of little faith? If you don't think it did, he said it. He said it. O oh, ye of little faith, you know? So it's, it's really, it's really a, kind of an interesting thing. They complained another time. They actually said they hated manna. They said, our souls hate this manna you've given us, this bread you've given us. Yeah. They were rejecting what God had given them. And later they would reject Christ, which is what God had given them. They wanted what they wanted then too. <laughs> it's a sad thing. Right? So then the question would be, that's why I made it a point just to state my case of why I believe we should come together in the beginning, based on Scripture, not just why I believe it, but why I believe Scripture states that we should come together and we're okay coming together and we're not tempting God by coming together because there's an expectation from God that the church come together to pray, to worship, ministry of the Word, those things. Amen? And also, while we said, if, 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 if you don't believe that, if that's not in your heart, then stay home in times like this because we don't want to lead you into a place where you're not comfortable, where, where, where your faith isn't a foundation for you. And, you know, of course, Romans 14, too, it, it goes into the whole one man can eat meat, another man eats only vegetables because of their faith, and neither should despise the other. And, you know, you can extrapolate that to any level of faith on anything for anybody that's in the body of Christ, right? That makes sense? So we're not to despise one another. If, Like we said earlier, if some people decided not to have church, that's best for them. They shouldn't, <laughs> right? That makes sense. We're not to despise them. They're not to despise us. Okay. I'm going to make sure. So now let's go to Deuteronomy 28, and let's talk about what we're actually dealing with. Since we got the little inter, inter, interim things out of the way. 28. And verse 21, and I'm going to start with verse 15, but you go to 21 if you will. Uh, It'll come to pass if you don't obey the voice of the Lord your God and be careful to observe all his commandments. These curses will come upon you. These curses will come upon you. You ready? Verse uh, 21, the Lord will make the plague cling to you. He'll make the plague cling to you. Anybody thought of any plagues recently? He'll make the plague cling to you. And so the plague is what? A part of the curse. Thank you. The plague is part of the curse. Now, you're going to find Christians that say, no, no, these things just happened because sin entered the earth. They did. They're a part of the curse. They're a part of the curse. It, it couldn't be more clear. Um and we'll we'll go through it. Let's go through it together. I want you then staying in Deuteronomy twenty-eight. You can read it all in your own spare time. It talks about uh, even even um, <clears throat> tumors coming on people. Verse twenty-seven: Lord strike you with boils, tumors, scab, itch, blah blah blah. Right? And it says with from which you cannot be healed, from which you cannot be healed. So you understand that even if you get it. What it's saying is you couldn't be healed from it. 
So, so today, let's say that you're not, you're not, you're not understanding this or knowing this, and you get it today in Christ. You can still be healed. Does that make sense? All right, but I just wanted to make that point. But look at verse fifty-nine, same chapter, verse fifty-nine. Then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, serious and prolonged sickness. When you think of coronavirus and you think of Ebola and you think of SARS and you think of AIDS and you think of things like that, what do you think of? Especially the one we're dealing with now, people think of plague. Plagues come from the curse. Just, just, just listen to me as we read this. I'm going to start 59 again. The Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great prolonged plagues, serious and prolonged sickness. Moreover, he'll bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. And also, every sickness and every plague which is not written in this book of the law will the Lord bring upon you until you are destroyed. Now, you know, we should remember why. Why? Verse 45. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you. If you had kept all the commandments and statutes, you'd be blessed, which is the first part of Deuteronomy 28. Because we didn't, they couldn't, the curse came upon them. Curses. Curses. You with me? Plagues. Plagues. Galatians 3. You guys probably know how this progression goes. Verse 10, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. As many as are under the works of the law are under the curse. What did we just read that the curse is? It involves, in addition to many things, plagues, sicknesses, diseases, and plagues. You with me? As many who, has tr- who are trying to be righteous under the law are cursed why because none of us perfectly keeps the law the end result is curse amen and then he gives scripture for it cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them verse 11 but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of god is evident for the just shall live by faith right yet the law is not of faith But the law says the man who does them shall live by them. In other words, the law is by doing or works, right? The law is not of faith. The law is of works. You with me? Verse 13. Big thing. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Plagues, diseases, sicknesses, pestilences. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Well, if that were true, then Christians wouldn't get sick. They wouldn't get plagues. Not true. Plagues will still try to attack anyone. It's up to the Christian 
to live by faith. Because these things do not come through works, for the works were of the law. This release from the curse now in Christ that we're redeemed from only comes through faith. And it's day-to-day faith that is exercised in accordance with whatever's coming against us. Now, I want to suggest this to you because um, if you'll think about this with me, Jesus was put on the pinnacle of the temple, right? And the devil said, throw yourself down. Because, you know, Scripture says that they'll bear you up. Don't worry about it, right? But there's no promise that we can find in the Bible that says if you jump down from somewhere, God will save you. Have you? Really? That's not a part of the blessing. It never says, and if you jump off a tall building, you'll not break your leg. You understand that? But guess what is a part of the blessing? The curses are done away with. That we have very specific words for in the Bible over and over and over again. So the one thing you can't choose to do, you can't exercise faith to jump off a building just to make yourself, just to be able to hurry up the end result. Because you don't have a promise for that. Can you understand? We understand the difference, right? You don't have a promise for jumping off of a building. But you do have a promise for saying, sickness, you're the curse, and you can't stay on me in Jesus' name. Now, see, that's different because we absolutely have word over and over and over that says, we've been redeemed from curses like you plague. And I just find it interesting that if, you, if you're really a sovereignty person, you'll tend to think, well, you know, if Jesus did it, it applies to us all. But the sovereignty people, somehow they forget their part, which is the exercising of the faith. You know, Hebrews 11 is the hall of fame of faith, and it's funny, each of those people, it says that they were, they were approved because they did something. Not because they, not because they, they stood there and said, well, I'm the church. Is because there was a challenge, and by faith they did something, right? So nothing was accredited to them because of sovereignty. It was accredited to them because of faith. Now, that's not to say God's not sovereign, but it's to say that God sovereignly works through the faith of his believers. He's chosen to do that sovereignly. He's chosen to do that sovereignly, to work through believers, right? That's what he did. That's why you can only be saved through faith, not through sovereignty. If you could be saved through sovereignty, then you wouldn't even have to profess Christ because God would automatically say, you're mine, don't worry about it. You don't have to say a thing. You're just saved. You're just the elect. But you can't do that. It's clear in Romans you have to believe in your heart and confess with your lips, and then you shall be saved, right? Amen. Now, those two work together. If you have faith, you will speak. Right? If you have faith, you will speak. Does that make sense? So, anyway, Galatians 3 is the most beautiful thing. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a or the curse for us. In other words, he he became accursed for us. Now, if you wanted to go study this, and there's more of it actually in probably Isaiah 51 through 53 than there actually even is in the New Testament. But that time when everything went dark, 
when Jesus was on the cross? He was disfigured. Terribly disfigured. His, his visage, the Bible says, was marred. The way he looked was changed. And the, the implication is because all of the diseases and curses and plagues of mankind were placed on him. Instead of us, in our place. And you can read about that in Isaiah. His, it, he says, my visage is marred. Yeah, and so you, you get the point is that all this stuff being placed on him, he bore it. And then and Matthew bears that out when he says that Jesus was healing and this was done to fulfill scripture that said he bore our sicknesses and our illnesses, right? And a lot of people want to whitewash that and say, no, no, it's just talking about spiritual things. It's not talking about physical healing, but it can't be. You can't make that argument. Because Jesus was physically healing people, and that was done to uphold Isaiah 53, where it says he bore our sicknesses. So you had to be a Looney Tunes crazy person to try to get that by, because he was absolutely physically healing people of physical ailments. And, and the writer, I think it was Matthew, said, and this he did to fulfill the word in Isaiah. Surely he has borne our illnesses and our sicknesses. So it meant physical infirmities, 100%. Not to say that it's not spiritual also, but 100% means physical ailments for today. Amen? Because if Jesus ever healed, he's a healer, right? I, the Lord, changes not. I'm the same yesterday. What I'll do then, I'll do now. Right. Amen. Okay, so interestingly, Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. What sickness did Abraham die of? What plague was he quarantined because of? What famine did he die of? What war did he die of? What enemy killed him? You're starting to see what the blessing looks like in the life of somebody that's walking with God. Quit letting religion tell you it's less than that. The Bible's clear. So that the blessing of Abraham might come upon... How many of us are Gentiles? You're not, you're not, you're not Israeli in your blood and in your DNA. I'm a Gentile. Guess what? The blessing comes upon the Gentiles by faith. The blessing that Abraham walked in. How many, how many of you know Abraham died young? Raise your hand. Yeah, Psalm 91 says, With long life shall you satisfy me and show me your salvation. Right? See, Abraham received that. God told him, he said, I'll bless you. And Abraham left a king's palace, or his wife did, and, and he had grown rich while he was lying about who his wife was. But God had already said, I'll bless you, just like he said he blessed you in Christ. And so the whole time Abraham was lying about who he was, he was being blessed, and his flocks were growing, and his wealth was increasing. <laughs> And the Bible says, and, and you can look this up for yourself, God says that even when you're faithless, God is faithful because he cannot deny himself. 
And that's what was going on in the life of Abraham. Even though he was faithless and thought he would die if he let them know that Sarah was his wife, God had already said, you're blessed and I'll make you a blessing. And so he was faithless and God continued to be faithful. If you could just get two people together in agreement to believe that, you can change the world and you can change what people preach about God most of the time. Can y'all see this? It's so good it's never been preached before. I hate to be ugly about it. It's never been preached much like this because it's too good. People can't believe it. Their flesh can't believe what God's really, really said. And not just said, but given example to over and over and over again. What in the world could it mean that even when we're faithless, he is faithful because he can't deny himself? That's the strongest statement you could ever say about anybody. Even when all the people failed, he was full of faith and kept right on going, doing what he said he would do. You know? As many as are under the works of the law are under the curse. So we don't want to, even having professed Christ, we don't want to believe we can work ourselves into good things. We don't want to put ourselves under law because we can't be blessed under law. Amen. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. I've been, I've been, I've been encouraged all of us. I, I did it several times to even today. And I know you guys might not have had time, but maybe you can tonight. Deuteronomy 28, read the blessings and then read the curses. Because what is so unbelievable about this is the blessings remain and Jesus just took the curses. It's like, it's like, if you will, and it's not, it's just, I'm just using this as kind of like a similarity, but there were two tablets of stone for the law, right? And on the one side was all the good things. I'll make you plenteous in goods. Your house will be full. I mean, just all kind of stuff. Your, 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 your pantries will be full of food. Right? I mean, it's just your family will be blessed. I mean, everything on this blessing page, you should go read it and just recite it, really, and say, Lord, thank you for making me plenteous and good. Thanking you for, thank you for making me the head and not the tail. Thank you for making my, my store and my larder full. Thank you for my children being blessed. Thank you for the heritage of your word being in my, in my generation's mouth to the third and fourth generation. You can just thank him. You know, you, you sit around, you got nothing to thank God for. You ought to just read what he's done for you. And then go over and read how bad the curses are, and you can start thanking him that Jesus bore this and bore this and bore this and bore this. And I guarantee you when you're doing it, you'll be declaring that those things have to leave you in your house alone. Right? Because it's the best thing in the world. There were two sheets, and Jesus took the curse sheet and bore it for you and left the blessing standing there. And it couldn't be more clear in Galatians because there's only been one blessing, although it was written out under the law because a law must be transcribed. Right? It wasn't written to Abraham. He wasn't under law. He just said, hey, Abraham, bless you, man. Everybody went. He ended up being blessed, right? Because like we said, what disease did he die of? When was he ever quarantined? Which of his enemies ever defeated him? What job did he ever lose? I mean, you could just keep on going. You can do that with Isaac, too. You can do that with Jacob, too. You can. You know why? Because it's a picture of what it looks like without law. That's why they lived it before law. Can you? Does that make sense to you? 
And what did Jesus do? When he bore the curse, he took us back over the law and bridged the gap. And that's why it says the blessing of Abraham might rest on us because Abraham's blessing was not contingent on his works. So see, the works doctrine was paid for. Jesus upheld this part, and we're bridged from Abraham to Christ right over law. Somebody say amen, man. That's awesome, isn't it? We are bridged back to the time when the blessing just was. Now, how was Abraham deemed worthy? Yeah, he believed God. God said, hey, a couple things I'm going to ask of you. Leave your father's house and your mother's house. I'm going to ask you to take off in blind faith and go to a place you don't know where it is and you've never been. And I'm just going to ask you to walk with me and regard me every day. On just that, Abraham said, I believe I can do that. Let's go. Having taken those few steps, God looked at him and said, you're justified. You're made righteous in my sight. My blessing is upon you, and my promises shall surely come to pass. Just continue to walk. Continue to walk. So in Psalm 91, when it says that... uh, he who dwells in a secret place, whatever. It says the pestilence, you know, it names pestilences as one of the things. You with me? I guess I ought to go there. Have you studied pestilence? It actually means disease. It actually means exactly what we face now. It says it shall not come near thy dwelling, shall not come nigh thy dwelling. You you catching that? It says you'll not fear the pestilence. And isn't that amazing? And then Psalm 103, King David said, Bless the Lord of my soul who heals all my diseases. All of them. All of them. All of them. All of my diseases. All of them. All of them. All of my diseases. And then the Bible says, and the Lord said, He sent His word and healed them. He sent His word and healed them. Who's the word? Jesus Christ himself, right? He sent his word and healed them. So I'm encouraging you now, tonight, let the covenant be on your lips. Isn't that the covenant? We said the covenant Sunday, and we said we didn't really know our covenant. And the covenant said that God said he'll put his word on our lips. His word. Why is it on our lips? Because we'd have to declare it to Satan. We have to declare it to Corona. We have to make it legal. We have to say, no, you can't do that. That's not the covenant I have. You can't infringe on my covenant with Almighty God. Almighty God says, you have to stop because plague shall not come near my dwelling. I bind you. What did we learn? We talked about it Sunday, Matthew 16. Who do you say I am? You're the Christ, the Son of, the God, Son of God, right? Blessed are you. Man hasn't shown you this. The Lord has. And what things soever you shall shall be bound in heaven. And that's the covenant in your lips. Remember we said those are the keys of the kingdom because the next thing he said was, and I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. And I said when I was young and just beginning in this, I wanted to go all through the Bible and find all the keys. And the Lord finally showed me one day. He said, it's not about the keys. That's great, but it's not about the keys. It's about the fact that the keys are in your hand. I'm like, I don't get it. He's like, no, no, I need to go find what the keys are. He's like, no, no, no. The keys are in you. It's just faith in your lips. The point is, 
when somebody gives you the keys, the access is yours. It's your job to use the key. Nobody, nobody going to come start the car for you once they've thrown you the key, right? Amen? It's your job. It's up, yeah, it's up to you to be covenant speakers and change the earth in accordance with the way God wants it to be. So when you go home, be a covenant speaker and tell Corona it's got to stop in your state, in your nation, in your earth. In the name of Jesus, just tell it. But I promise you, a virus has ears. Every living thing hears the word of God. Because the Bible says the world itself is framed by the word of God. Man, if you, you get to thinking, oh, silly, thinking you can go out and talk to something. You just really don't understand the revelation of what that Bible says. Because it says the very world are framed by the word of God. Well, last time I checked, a virus is in the world. So it's been framed, and it knows where it has to stop, too. And being as it's a part of the curse, where does it have to stop? Where a covenant keeper tells it to. Amen? Now, don't do that just because I said it. Read it in case, if, you do, if that, doesn't really, that doesn't really come up powerfully and your spirit's not going, yeah! Read it for yourself until it does, because then it'll be what God said to Peter. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for man has not shown this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say that this in you is a rock, foundation. And on foundation of rock like this, in other words, revelation of the word, I'll build my church. And when it's founded like this, the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. And the gates of hell, by the way, are corona. Anything like that. Amen? They cannot prevail when it's revelatory from God in the believer. They can prevail when I just heard it and repeat it. But when I read it and the Spirit reveals it and it becomes bedrock in my spirit and then I speak, the gates of hell itself cannot come against it. Amen.